0: You're You're listening to the 100th 100th episode of Booth One. One.
1: Welcome, friends and fans. Indeed, this is the 100th episode of Booth One. Gary Zabinski, your host here. Swimming alone today in the warm waters of the Booth One century mark, my co-host Frank is off on a prior social engagement. But I will not be lonely for joining me today are two amazing people whose stories we have so much wanted to share with our Booth One listeners. In brief, let me just tell you this. Michael and Mona Heath are devoted fans of Chicago storefront theater who support the amazingly talented and dedicated artists and artisans that make chicago theater so vibrant much much more about that in a moment but let me ask you this your ardent devoted fans how many shows mona would you say you see in a week
2: oh we average about (laughs) 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 6.4
1: so in a month you see about 25 shows a month Michael? Something like that. And in a year, what's your record for shows in a year?
2: Last year it was 300, well, we thought it was 335, but last week we came across one we'd forgotten to record, so 336.
1: Yes. (laughs) And you keep the playbills for all of these, right? We have all,
2: forever, we have all of them. That's
1: absolutely amazing. What a fantastic tribute to Chicago Mm -hmm. Theater. Almost 4,000 playbills. 4,000 playbills from various shows. We're
0: at 3,800 roughly right now. (laughs) <laughs> we'll we'll hit we'll hit four thousand probably by you know the early, it, early it, next and it's year, taken next and it's year. taken
1: you how long to do that about eight or nine years or something like that you've been mm. devoted to going to the theater you know pretty much every night
0: well it's ramped up it hasn't always been quite as intense as it is now so the. Uh, you know, the evolution has been toward more and more and more, but then there's a limit. There's a carrying capacity of the number of nights in a week. <laughs> <laughs> that's and, true. And by the way, we're both mathematicians. So yes. I what was, gonna, <laughs> so, was gonna say you did the math. So, so when anyway. we say six point four, we mean, oh, that's three hundred and thirty six yeah. divided by fifty-two. Yeah. And that's six point four shows a week. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Tell our listeners a little bit about your backgrounds. Michael, I understand you were born in Kentucky, is that right? No,
0: I was born in Atlanta, Ah, but moved at age two to Kentucky. So I have no memories of Atlanta and lived in Kentucky age two through college at the University of Kentucky. So, you know, 21, 22, whatever. Then the rest of uh, our lives have been in Tennessee, uh, California. I went to graduate school at Stanford. And then Illinois since 1991.
1: And your academic background is in what? Computer science. Computer (laughs) science. And you, Mona, you were born on the East Coast?
2: Yes, I'm from Virginia and lived there until I got married.
1: How long have you been married?
2: Since 1975, so it's 43 and a half years. Congratulations. (laughs) (laughs) Fantastic. We have tenure.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, seems to be working. Can't be fired. Right. That's right. Did you go to school there as well?
2: Yeah, I went to Virginia Tech. So I grew up on the coast and went to school in the mountains. Mm -hmm. Then took my first job, which was at Oak Ridge National Lab in Tennessee. Ah. And that's where Mike and I met. I started work six weeks before he left for grad school at Stanford.
1: And your academic background is also in computer science? Yeah, I
2: double majored in math and computer science. So. <laughs>
1: <Okay>. <laughs> fantastic. Did you have any theater exposure when you were growing up as, as kids? Did you want to be actors like me? <laughs>
0: the short answer is no. No experience or even access to theater. Uh, And that's true for both Mona and me. We both grew up in very rural areas. Mm -hmm. My hometown had two public buildings, a church and a general store, and a population of maybe a couple hundred. So there was absolutely no theater, and Mona lived in a similarly rural setting. I
2: I lived in a county that not only had no live theater, we did not have a movie theater. Wow. There was one drive-in in in the county, in the marshy part of the, the county, so... The most notable things were this the mosquito mosquitoes. Mosquitoes, I was yeah. going to yeah. say, yeah, bugs. Yeah. So yeah.
1: you'd have to drive a considerable distance yeah. to go to the movies.
2: Yeah, so Richmond or Newport News, so forty-five minutes or an hour. So yeah. when I graduated from high school, I could count the number of movies I'd seen on one hand. Wow. Yeah.
1: A- and yet, you've developed this love of. Well, I'll just say storefront theater in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Especially storefront. And we, we, Especially we, storefront, We go to all yeah. kinds of theater. Yeah. And we subscribe to about 40
0: different theaters, all the way from you know, Goodman and Steppenwolf down to the tiniest.
1: Where do you find the time to spend the majority of your waking hours in the theater? You don't, you don't even mm-hmm. live in Chicago full-time, I understand. Right. That's correct. Right. You live part-time in Chicago. Yes. You live in yeah. uh, Champaign-Urbana, right? Yeah. We have a condo have a
2: there and a condo right in the loop. Right in the so, loop. Yeah. So you're so centrally we just located. go condo to condo. Do, and, you, uh, do
1: you drive home to Champaign some nights after a show?
2: Uh, at the end of a trip, yeah. Oh, yeah. I see. Yeah. So, yeah.
1: Maybe you'd give a little, a little bit more background. Yeah.
0: Uh, it would make it sound a little more sensible than, <laughs> than, than, it, than it has so far. <laughs> well, maybe I should go back to kind of the beginning. So, as we said, no access to theater. However, uh, when I was a teenager, uh, I had a cousin who, unlike most people in that part of the country, actually went to college uh, to be a school teacher. And she's an English major, and she took a theater appreciation or whatever course. It's it's just part of her general education. Mm -hmm. And when she finished, she gave me the the book they had used, which was a book called 25 Great Modern Plays. And it started with um, Ibsen and Chekhov and Shaw and O'Casey, and it progressed through uh, O'Neill... Williams, Miller, and Inge. And the last three were still working at the time, okay, still writing new plays. So I read these plays, and I thought, wow, this is great, but unfortunately I'll never get to see one of these, because you know there's no theater. But when you live out in a rural, rural area, you don't go camping for vacation, right? Because you're already under the stars. So we would go to one of the two big cities nearest to my hometown in western Kentucky, either St. Louis or Louisville. So when I was about 14, we went to St. Louis, nominally for Cardinal Baseball and the zoo and so on. But we stayed, and I still remember this, that we stayed in the Chase Park Plaza Hotel, which was at the time, which is mind-boggling because we were very modest means, and yet that was kind of the class hotel in St. Louis at the time. But somewhat like the old Blackstone here in Chicago, they had a live theater in, inside the the hotel so I saw that and I thought whoa here's a chance to see a play so I asked my parents can can we go see a whatever plays running here and they said we're not really interested but since it's right here in the building and you don't even have to go outside you can just go by yourself so here I you know here I go and see my first live play and it was uh, Tennessee Williams suddenly last summer
1: That's an intense play yes, to see and, for and your and first I,
0: time. I, I do not claim to have understood everything that happened in that play, but it was just thrilling to you know, hear the words spoken in the same room with me and, and see it unfold on stage. And so I was kind of smitten. And then the next summer, so I'd be like 15, it was time to go to Louisville for summer vacation. And they had just started this brand-new theater. Um, it was their first, maybe second season and they were in temporary quarters. It was a place called the Actors' Theater of Louisville, which nobody had ever heard of. So I I said, hey, here's the theater. Can can I go? Because I loved it last time. And uh, again, they said, we're not interested, but you can go by yourself. And so I saw my second ever play, Eugene O'Neill's Desire Under the Elms. (laughs) So that was my introduction to live theater. Wow. You know, two mm-hmm. psychosexual classics yeah. Oh, yeah. that were vastly beyond my understanding, mm-hmm. but but the, but the palpable feeling of live theater really hooked me. And so then when I went away to college, uh, shortly thereafter, University of Kentucky, I went to, you know, school productions, and then later in Tennessee, uh, University of Tennessee, and the Clarence Brown Theater, and so on. And so that's sort of the beginning of theater for us or for me. Mona can tell yeah. her story as well. Eventually uh, we moved to Illinois in nineteen ninety one to work at the University of Illinois at Urbana Champaign and just it took us a couple of years to unpack and then we started, you know, <laughs> dipping a toe in the water. First local theater there in Champaign, Urbana, and then occasional weekend visits to Chicago and then the and then it became every weekend. And then once we retired, we retired in Twenty twelve. I got
2: the hang of it right out of the gate. Yeah, Uh, took me a
0: while to taper (laughs) off, but we started coming and staying longer. And once I stopped teaching class every day, then we could stay as long as we like. So sometimes we'll stay two solid weeks or so, and that's how you can sure average you know six point whatever shows a week. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah.
2: and just to fill in the the backstory, Mike's first experience with theater was jumping off the deep end of the pool. Mine was the waiting pool. <laughs> um, so in 6th oh, through 8th grades, I played piano for Gilbert and Sullivan Productions. Yeah. You know, by 6th mm-hmm. through 8th graders. It might be theater, I don't know. Not, <laughs> sure. In our area, it wasn't a big talent pool we were talking about. Uh-huh. Later in high school, I played piano for a friend of mine to sing in the 4-H competition. So to say thanks for playing for her, her mother took the two of us to Richmond, to see a play. So in the Virginia Museum of Fine Arts, a lovely museum, they had a, a little theater space and a community theater troupe performed Camelot there. So that was my first One of my all-time theater. favorite yeah, pieces, yeah. The pieces and, of theater. And it was just magical. It was just wonderful.
1: So you both kind of... Got the bug for seeing theater yeah, early but, in but, your yeah. life. But not
0: performing. Neither,
1: neither have you had any desire to go none on whatsoever.
0: stage, don't have
2: the performing gene.
1: I don't want to neglect this very much longer so I'm gonna get right to it tell us about how you decided to take your love of viewing theater and especially storefront theater in Chicago and become supporters of storefront theaters and why philanthropy became your major interest
2: well for one thing we have no children and no relatives we trust with money (laughs) so we were we were thinking about You know, we need to start thinking about a will and what comes next. What's our legacy and so on. And so it was pretty, pretty easy decision. Just what are we most passionate about? Well, it's the arts in general and theater specifically. And we had gotten so much from, from Chicago theater. We've always loved Chicago. We first came to the city years ago. For the architecture, this would be in the 80s, yeah. Yeah, no. for the architecture and to go to record stores and music stores. And bookstores. And bookstores. And, book yeah. and so we loved Chicago, but then when we had seen enough Chicago theater by the time we were getting ready for retirement, we knew it was our, our real passion. So it was a pretty easy decision, and then the next step was figuring out how do you do that effectively? You know, who do you give to? What do you give? How does that work? Yeah.
0: And, and we felt that basically, you know, we have a retirement nest egg. You know, we have no inherited money or anything like that. We, neither of us comes from a wealthy background. So we just have what we've saved over the years. So it hardly would justify a foundation or something of our own. So we looked online and searched for what kind of mechanism would make sense for what we want to do with the asset level we have. And uh, we found the Chicago Community Trust. And mm. that was just a perfect fit for us. They've been around for over 100 years, uh, since 1915. And they're very much interested in not just the, the usual social uh, services and, and that sort of thing and health and so on, but very much interested in the arts and supporting and, and promoting the arts. And so it was a very nice fit. And it basically gives us... The same capabilities you would have with your own foundation, uh, but without all that overhead. So basically, it just works works like online banking. You know, you, we we put money in our account, and then I tell them write a check to Theater So and So, and uh, they handle and, yeah. all of the logistics. Yeah. Do yes. they also
1: advise you on people who are looking for some funding? That or? occasionally
0: happens, but it's primarily motivated by who we know and and, and and, and yeah. what we want to accomplish. One of our nicest projects did come to us as a proposal to a you know non-specific proposal to uh, CCT that was then routed to us and we funded it and that's the uh, accessible equipment loan program mm-hmm. that we funded uh, and that's that's been a very rewarding project and the basic idea is this is in partnership with the Chicago Cultural Accessibility Consortium and Steppenwolf. so. The consortium coordinates this. We provided the funding, and Steppenwolf hosts and manages the equipment and loans it out for free to small theaters. So this is uh, things like captioning and audio description equipment mm. for small theaters that could mm. never afford their own. Yeah, uh, that's expensive stuff. They can borrow, it for, stuff, it, right. they can borrow yeah. it for free wow. and use it for one or two performances of a run. And now the, the calendar that CCAC maintains... Is practically full of uh, fully accessible performances, and there used to be one or two a month. Yeah. Uh, Steppenwolf, to their credit, had been loaning their own equipment out as as much as they could when they didn't weren't using it themselves, but there was just not enough to go around, and so n- now there is. And and now we're a little over two years into that program, uh, in fact pushing three now. But uh, I saw some statistics for the first two years, and in very round numbers, so. You know, I'm very proximate here in contrast okay. to my normal mathematical <laughs> right. precision. All right. All right. But, these but are round numbers. These are very round numbers, but about half of the captioned performances in the city of Chicago use this equipment, and roughly two-thirds of the audio-described performances in Chicago use this equipment. So that's a, an incredible impact. Uh, for what you know, two people of modest means were were able to do. And I might add, it's not just for theaters. Uh, museums use it. All cultural institutions. The Chicago, uh. the Chicago Humanities Festival uses the equipment. Ah. Uh. So it's it's really high impact project. And that did come to us
1: through CCT. The Chicago Community Trust. Yes.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And this is one of the few direct connections to our working life that, that we have, because when I was working at the University of Illinois, I, I was not a professor, but as the Deputy Chief Information Officer. And, and one thing I had done in that capacity was work with the group on campus that provided support services for people with disabilities. And so I, I had experience working on the accessibility of, of websites and apps and things like that. And this was a a very natural progression of that. And by the way, this is a surprisingly little known fact, but the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign is incredible uh, and has been for decades in accessibility. So typically the university has had a thousand or more students with disabilities and they have special dorms. And there are some wonderful uh, videos on YouTube that tell about this legacy, which started back right after World War II.
0: Because of all the returning servicemen yeah. who, who yeah. were horribly maimed in sure. the war and, sure. and needed help. Yeah. And,
2: and people who would have died previously uh, in previous wars were yeah, they coming, survived. coming back. Yeah.
0: But now know, they want to go to school. and Missing
2: limbs and, yeah. and mm-hmm. things like that. And so there was this one guy, Tim Nugent, who had been a soldier and had seen people he served with uh, coming back, and at that at that time, the general conventional wisdom was, well, these people don't need jobs, you know, they can't do anything, and you know, why would they need to go to school? And Tim just said, no, that's 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 not the case, <laughs> and so he almost single-handedly started a program for veterans and used a loophole in the GI Bill to get it funded initially. And anyway, it wound up finding its, its home at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign.
1: The University of Illinois is a, an incredible institution, and they have a very fine theater program there, oh, yes. by the way. Oh, by yes. the way yes. a, a beautiful theater, too, and some yep. fantastic yes. professors. Yes. How many, Mona, would you say theater companies do you support, either with... Direct sponsorships of shows or general operating funding, things like that. Uh, about how many in, in the Chicago area would you say?
2: Probably about twenty-five to mm. thirty, I mm. would say. And then we we buy all our tickets for everything. So, <laughs> I, so I was you know I was so, going to ask about so that. that. If you include <laughs> buying tickets, not through Gold Star, you know, full price. <laughs> yeah, you pay full price yeah, for yeah, them. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. I would say. It's probably, it's got to be over 100, because on our website, we have our list of favorites by company. I, I and, and I've over, read all of those, There are over yeah. 100 companies yeah. in that yeah. list. Yeah. So, For sure. Yeah, I think we have seen shows at over 300 Different Uh, theater
1: companies, companies, yeah. That's roughly about how many there are in Chicago. Actually, there might be even close to 400 storefront theaters now, according to, or any kind of theaters, according to um, the statistics from the city of Chicago. We had Mark Kelly on Mm -hmm. uh, not too long ago, the commissioner, and he was uh, touting and promoting the Year of Chicago Theater, which is what we're in the midst of. They have your name on the main stage theater at a space called. The Den. What prompted you to choose this theater space to support? That ha- I mean, it kind of has an interesting origin.
2: It was our first project.
0: It was our very first project. Yeah. We were just, you know, groping our way, figuring out what to do. And we had just sold uh, a piece of property, and I said, "Okay, we're going to take this money and just dump it into our nest egg account, or, or are we going to do something more interesting with it?" And uh, we were. Getting to the point where, where we knew we wanted to do you know, some f- fairly serious involvement with, uh, with theater. Just to show you how naive we were at the time. <laughs> <laughs> um,
2: and we didn't know anybody in theater. Yeah, and we, we had no
1: personal friends. Yeah. right? But, but you'd been going to the theater. Oh, yeah, right. Sam. So right. You'd, right. Been, you'd right. started this sort of yeah. Yeah. marathon process and already. Right. Uh, there's a wonderful
0: actor named Jay, Jay Whitaker who we'd seen at the Illinois Shakespeare Festival, we'd seen him around Chicago, and he was you know, trying to make a living as an actor in Chicago. And uh, there was an article about him in the paper that he was leaving Chicago because he just couldn't make a living as an actor in Chicago because it didn't pay well enough for him to even have a car to get to some of the auditions. And so we thought, is there anything we could do to help with that problem? Now, you know, that's incredibly naive, but that was our thought. The one person we knew at the time that we thought we could consult about this was the then-managing director of The Hypocrites, uh, Megan Wilderburg. Uh-huh. So we talked to Megan, and, you know, obviously we can't put actors on our payroll or anything like that because we don't have a payroll, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, so, so there was nothing direct we could do, but, but Megan said, you know, we've been, we've been laboring in the Chopin basement for years, and our swords hit the ceiling when we have sword fights, and it's cramped, and we can't get many people in there. If we had a larger performance space, not only could we would it free us artistically, but there'd be more seats and we'd have more income and we could pay our actors better. And she said, I, I know a space that's ripe for building a you know, a big but still storefront theater. And she mentioned the den. We had just been to the den a few weeks earlier it had just for started time. for the first yeah. time yeah and we to went to bus stop we went to yeah bus stop mm-hmm. was their first production we met ryan martin the uh, artistic director there and he showed us around so megan told us well ryan's had his eye on the bottom floor of that it's it's an 1898 department store building yeah the, old p- furniture yeah, store That the, was a, that was a whole i think, whole, a, no, I think no, it was a full department a store. really ryan had had his eye on that to develop it into a theater And so we met with him and we talked about it. And, you know, it was a match of interests. And none of us knew what we were really getting into. Uh, It turned out to be much bigger than anybody imagined. I'm sure. But we ended up developing that space. And it wasn't our idea to name it after us. The way we we found out it was named after us was that we read it in the Trib. (laughs) Chris Jones wrote an article about the new space just before it opened. He called it a Game Changer for Wicker Park. In interviewing Ryan, he asked Ryan, "What are you going to call it?" And he said, "The Heath Main Stage." So that's how we found <laughs> that's out. That's fantastic. Because we did not go into there was no written agreement that it be named yeah. after us or anything yeah. like that, and, right. and we never asked for that.
2: By the way, a couple of interesting things about um, things you see when you go to that theater are things the actors see. Is in the basement of the old department store, there was a bunch of bowling alley wood, and you know all we can, can figure is that at at the time it was built you, you know the wives were shopping and the husbands and children needed to be entertained so go down to the basement <laughs> So and there was bowl. a bowling alley yeah. in the yeah. basement maybe yeah. Yeah. and we took the and, the and wood so from and Brian cut yeah. those that that wood into dressing tables so there's a there's just a a huge expanse of dressing tables in the basement wow made out of this lovely bowling alley wood there's also a laundry and shower yeah yeah it's
1: beautiful space we had
0: uh, it took about 18 months to develop the space from from first demolition to uh, completion we had 40 some odd meetings with directors and designers and lighting people and so on what do you need well we need Totally flexible seating, and and for that reason, we need a totally comprehensive lighting grid because you may be able to be able to light anything anywhere. Mm-hmm. And, and in fact, the light we didn't know where the partition was going to be for the for the Haven Lounge that's in front of it. So the lighting grid actually extends beyond. If you look up in the Haven Lounge, there's a lighting grid.
1: Ah, because because it, yeah. it goes why. beyond that
0: yeah. wall. Yeah, yeah. It, it's see.
2: probably the only bar in the city with a lighting grid. With its own yeah. lighting grid. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and yeah. and it's yeah. a
0: lovely bar yeah. too. Yeah. 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 yeah, and they said. The people we met with said, hey, we use a lot of stage blood, so we're going to need laundry, we're going to need shower, and so on. So you got it. And, and the space down there is, is tremendous. I mean, it's almost yeah. as big as the theater itself. Yeah. The first show produced in the space, once it was completed, it was All Our Tragic, which is a 12-hour show with a cast of 23. And, uh, and a, a hypocrite a, show. Yeah, yeah, Literally hundreds of costumes, props, wigs, shoes, you name it. There's photos on our website of all that stuff just lined up. Yeah. In the dressing rooms. You could hardly have produced that show
1: anywhere else in town. For our listeners who don't know The Den, it is really a bunch of rental spaces. So uh, it's designed for visiting companies, outside companies, to rent that space and perform there. So the Heath main stage can be used by all kinds of companies. The the, the first two years, it was almost
0: exclusively used by the hypocrites. But in recent years, it's been anybody that... uh, wants to rent right. it so. Yeah. So it's,
1: it's yeah. really benefited the entire theater yeah. community as, as a whole.
2: And the goal in building that space was to retain the trademark intimacy of storefront theater, but enable more patrons to experience the theater. I understand
1: that the box office... Uh, construction is made out of some old pieces of a pipe organ a 1916 pipe organ or something from downstate yeah we've it's from a church in
0: in Bloomington Illinois but we found it in an architectural salvage yard in Champaign
2: within walking distance of our condo yeah wow and and we
0: saw it and we thought this is going to be great for either the box office or the bar and so we called Ryan and he rented a truck and came down and picked it up. And yeah. uh, that's how that beautiful, ornate box office came to be. Yeah. Yeah, it's very cool.
1: Where do you guys like to sit when you go to the theater? Uh, you buy your own tickets, obviously, so mm-hmm. you get to not really choose because most of these theaters are general admission or first come. Well, but we, but we, we come early. We
2: come really early. Really? We really have strong opinions about where we want to sit. <laughs> and it's on the front row. I mean, we'd sit on the stage if they'd let us, you know, just... We want to forget. There's anyone else? Well, the
1: front row frequently us. is on yeah, the stage. <laughs> I mean, I almost true. had my toe stepped true. on at the yes. steep the other yes. day, yes. Yeah. watching Pomona. Yeah.
2: And by the way, we didn't start out uh, heading for the front row. There's a story about how that even happened. It, it was back when the um, Biograph had just become the Victory Gardens Theater, and at the time they w- were still running the, the what's now the Greenhouse Theater mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. So we had tickets. For a show at the greenhouse, and we showed up, and the box office person says, "Oh, they closed that show early. It's been closed for two weeks." Oh no! No no. no one had told us. Didn't didn't tell the ticket holders that they had
0: closed the show early.
2: So, so there we are. But, but the box office person said, "But we have another show running now. If and it's it was like five minutes, five minutes up the street at the Biograph. Yeah, if you run, you can probably get there. (laughs) And here are your tickets." And those tickets happened to be Front Row Center. We sat there, and we thought, this is how you should experience yeah, theater. Yeah, so, and, and yeah. And the
0: show was fantastic. It was, I sailed with Magellan. Mm-hmm. An adaptation of the stories of Stuart, Stuart Diebeck yeah. who, who I think you have interviewed yeah. on this I show. I know
1: Stuart very well. We're yeah. personal and, friends. And yeah. it was
0: just Adapted glorious. by Claudia Allen. Yeah, Claudia yeah. Allen uh-huh. did the adaptation, and uh, Bubba Weiler, and Mark Grapey, and Lance, Lance, Lance Baker. It was just a fantastic show. And so mm-hmm. we not only fell in love with uh, the front row, we fell in love with those actors and, and that theater. And we're still in the front row at the at the
1: biograph. Yeah. Same,
2: same seats. Same, same seats, I, yeah. Yeah.
1: You don't get much of an opportunity to go to other things, saying six point four <laughs> shows a week. Do you enjoy larger scale productions as well? Do you ever take trips to Broadway or do Broadway in Chicago? Are you opera fans of any kind? We
0: do occasionally go to larger theaters, uh-huh. uh, and, and we subscribe, you know, to Goodman Sepp and Seppenwolf and Northlight, Paramount, and Paramount, yeah. Drury Lane, Marriott, uh, yeah. Court.
2: But, but all our, our seats are on the front row. But our seats are on the front row at all
0: those theaters. But for the most part, we enjoy the small theaters the most. And I think, in terms of our philanthropy, the reason we focus on small theaters is really twofold. One is that's our favorite kind of theater. You know, we like it best. But also, we can make a difference there. A theater with a million-dollar-a-show a budget, we can have absolutely zero impact on. But a theater with a $1,000-a-show or a $10,000-a-show budget, we can make the difference between getting the art on stage and not, not being able to do it, or at least making the art on stage a lot better uh-huh. and a lot higher quality. And with a more diverse set of designers, and so on. So that's really uh, why we focus on small theaters, is because yeah. we can make a difference, and we can see the difference for ourselves.
2: And yeah. it's where our most visceral theater experiences have taken place.
0: Sure. So we sp- we were season sponsors at a handful, and then we do individual production sponsorships with another set of theaters. You know, maybe eight or ten more and then we do more just sort of general operating grants mm-hmm. uh, to an even larger set but of course those are just kind of love notes they aren't yeah uh, <laughs> they aren't really making a difference but but they're just letting them know we care and we yeah. appreciate them
1: with That's all, all the shows miss. that you see there must be some clinkers in the bunch every once in a while. A well, the way better, I put but... it
0: is if you never see a stinker, you're not taking enough chances. <laughs> and we we see shows at tiny, tiny theaters that we've never heard of, by playwrights we've never heard of, with actors we've never heard of. And sometimes they disappoint, but other times they just knock your socks off. Sure. And we wouldn't have known about that had we not done so. We went to a play... Uh, last, uh, last Sunday. Uh, uh, yeah, a week ago.
2: Yes.
0: Uh, called International Falls. uh uh-huh. It was produced by a, a new company to us called uh, Agency Theater Collective.
2: Yeah, we had seen only one thing yeah. uh, they had done before.
0: And it's a two-hander, and it was just marvelous. And there was an audience of Three including yes. yourselves. Yes, yes. Oh. including yeah. ourselves. The yeah.
2: Brown Line had a meltdown that day. Yeah, the uh, Brown so. Line
0: was trains were running half an hour apart, so it was kind of hard to get to mm-hmm. and and obscure.
2: And you would just walking in and here's this wonderful production.
0: Yeah, you know, the actors were just fully committed. It was a, it was just a marvelous theatrical experience and it really showed what Chicago theater is all about. A tiny company producing really vivid, visceral work in a tiny space, in an obscure place, to an audience of three. Obviously, when you're taking chances like that, occasionally it's not going to work out, but so what? You you will never experience the good if you don't risk the bad.
2: And we rarely, rarely see a production that doesn't have redeeming social value one way or another. We usually feel that when a production... Falls a little short of expectations. It's usually the play itself.
1: Mm.
2: You can almost bet the acting's going to be fabulous, the direction's going to be really great. The production values may vary, but with some creativity, that's fine too. You know, some yeah. of, some of the coolest sets and designs you see are are prompted by uh, the creativity needed if you have, you know, yeah. know ten bucks <laughs> to, to do
1: something. Do you? Both read reviews. Are you in favor of reviews and do you think they're valuable to the community? I would say we
0: don't rely on reviews to tell us what we should see. We know what we want to see as well as any critic in town, I think. And therefore, we trust our judgment more than we trust anybody else's judgment because we know what we're looking for, we know what we're interested in, and we know all those directors, we know all those actors. So we don't use reviews for that. We do scan the review roundup just to see if we've missed something. Oh, that's getting noticed, and we didn't we didn't have that on our schedule. so we need to look into that. So reviews do affect us in that way, but i don't I don't think we ever make just up or down decisions uh, based on on reviews. Mm.
2: We look for in terms of what we support philanthropically and also what we go to see. We're looking for artistic excellence and inclusion, those two things. Sadly, a lot of the reviews you read are, are perhaps not strong on inclusion. <laughs> yeah. You know? yeah. So um, that's another reason that we read reviews as a matter of curiosity but not as a matter of action.
1: Yeah, of of determining what you're going to. That's right. I don't like to read reviews of shows that I'm interested in or that I'm about to go Mm -hmm. to. I don't want to hear what people thought of it Mm -hmm. beforehand. Tell us a little bit about your website. It's extremely extensive. (laughs) It's got just about everything on it, including photographs of your Playbill collection and a (laughs) listing of your favorites in varying genres. How do you maintain that? Do you work on that constantly?
2: Yeah, and we've got a fairly big to-do list at any given time. So <laughs> I'm, sure. uh, I'm working on a uh, – Mike does the, is our Facebook presence, and I'm the, the web manager and compose most of the, the pages. But We the jointly group?
0: decide what should go on the website. Mm. Uh, Mona does most of the implementation. I kibitz. I, I occasionally write a piece, but most of them are hers. And then I I do regular updates of our of our Facebook page. Yeah.
2: We possibly should fill in the blanks on why we have a website. Yeah. Okay.
0: I'll I'll take a stab yeah. at that, and okay. then you talk more about the okay. mechanics of okay. how we do it. So we have this uh, this philanthropic fund at the Chicago Community Trust, right? And we're giving out grants, and I don't want to say this is a literal quote, but basically the folks at CCT said, you know, uh, after you're not around to do the donor advising anymore, you're in the nursing home or you're you know, no longer with us, a committee will decide how to spend your money. And so uh, you should leave some sort of record of what you funded and why uh, so that they will have some guidance. And so we thought, well, what better way to do that than a website? So that was the motivation for having a website. And the website does fill that purpose. It has a list of projects we've, we've funded and, and literally tells why. New City referred to that as radical transparency. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, because most funders don't tell you why. Yeah. <laughs> um, but we do. Because it's, it, if you don't tell why, then you haven't provided the guidance that will be needed for posterity. Sure. Mm-hmm. So so anyway, that was the idea. And then we just sort of got carried away because we thought, hey, this is the perfect platform for celebrating the theater we love, especially in Chicago. So we developed all these favorite lists and all these funky categories and, and everything. I mean, some regular, some, some funkier, like yeah. favorite understudy performances or... Or, uh, Artist
2: bios from their early years. Yeah. 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 We, yeah, we've
0: got a ton of anecdotes about we knew them back when. We
2: saw them on stage when they yeah. were freshmen in college or yeah. whatever. Yeah,
0: yeah. We saw John Michael Hill in a chorus line.
2: How, how many people a student can say production. that? In fact, the first time we ever saw John Michael Hill on stage, he was a freshman at U of I, and it was a community theater production of Ain't Misbehavin', and he played the Andre DeShields part beautifully. So,
0: I can so, imagine. So our earliest exposures to him were uh, musical theater, yeah. and most people don't know he's ever yeah. even done musical theater. He may not even remember he's done <laughs> musical theater. He's been on our show.
2: We first saw James Vincent Meredith at the local community theater in, in Urbana, the Station Theater. He was in a production of uh, Six Degrees of Separation when James was attending community college. At
0: Parkland College in, 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 in Champaign.
2: And he was great. He will be performing in The Agitators at Remy Bumpo, which is a fascinating-sounding play uh, about the decades-long correspondence between uh, Frederick Douglass and um, Susan B. Susan Anthony. B. Anthony. Mm. Yeah yeah and so we're the artist sponsor for james for that fantastic so we first
0: saw him when he was in community college and we've actually sponsored other things james has been in yeah Yeah. we even co-produced a film i don't know if you know about
1: that i didn't know about that but i'm going to ask you about that in a minute after i do this shameless plug if you don't mind give me one second Booth One is primarily focused on giving the Chicago Theater community a forum for telling their stories and sharing their passions. In fact, we are one of the very few outlets for that process. And if you'd like to support Booth One in bringing you the best in lively conversation about the arts and popular culture and amazing guests like Michael and Mona Heath here, you can go to our website at www.booth-one.com and click on the Donate button. It's quick. It's easy and it's tax deductible under our 501c3 status as a nonprofit entity. Any and all contributions, of course, would be greatly appreciated. We'll be reaching out in other ways over the next few weeks to raise funding so that we can bring you yet another 100 episodes of Booth One. Watch for uh, notices about that and go to our website if you can. So tell me about this film, Michael.
0: Well, you remember that naivete I mentioned about Helping actors I, make a living? I, I do. <laughs> well, we, we did it again. Um, <laughs> we got a, uh, a query from a, a wonderful actor friend of ours, uh, Lindsay Page Morton, who said she has a friend, Stephen Cohn. Now, we'd seen Stephen's work on stage as an actor, and admired his work, but we didn't even know he was a filmmaker. Turns out he's an award-winning filmmaker, and he was making a film called Princess Sid that's spelled C-Y-D. It's now available on, you know, Netflix and, uh-huh. and other streaming and, um, services. Yeah. What caught our eye about it was the cast list was just a who's who of Chicago stage actors. You know, Re- Rebecca Spence played one of the two lead roles. We didn't know Jesse Pinnock at the time, but she played the title role, and one of the other lead roles was played by James Vincent Meredith, and he was just marvelous. So we, seeing this list of, I guess a couple dozen Chicago stage actors that we see all the time, and we thought, well, we got to help out with this, and so we. Uh,
2: we thought great day jobs for Chicago yeah, stage yeah. actors. yeah. What better day no, job could yeah. you
0: have as a stage actor than to make a really sweet film? And so we invested in the film and became you know, co-producers. And then we were thrilled to see its um, premiere at the Chicago International Film Festival where it won the Chicago Award as the best film made in or about Chicago that, that year, and that was uh, 2017. And it also made a number of best of the year lists. Uh, Vanity Fair and NPR in particular mm-hmm. put it on their best of the year. And not just not best in- indies, but best films period. Hmm. It's, it's just a, a marvelous film, and it makes Chicago look like the most beautiful city on earth. The cinematography is to die for. The writing by Stephen and direction by Stephen are just exquisite, and uh, we were just delighted to, to be part of that.
2: And we're pretty sure that we were probably the only co-producers on that film who hadn't seen a, a movie in a movie theater in about three decades (laughs) because we're always at live theater yeah 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 Yeah. yeah. mention
0: the name of this film once again princess sid and that's
1: spelled c y d -D. it's like like sid Cherie spelled right Right. right right
2: written and directed by stephen cone
1: yeah i asked this of our guests every once in a while, and I'm always fascinated by the answer. If you could have done anything other than what you chose to do as careers, what might that have been? Was there something when you were young that you thought that you would like to do, Mona?
2: I am told that first time I was asked in public what I wanted to be, you know, as a very young child, I said an Indian and a bicycle rider. So (laughs) that... That was turned out not to be my career path. Um,
1: Sounds like but, an Indigo Girls song <laughs> somehow. Yeah, I, I don't yeah, know why. Yeah.
2: I think probably what I would have actually enjoyed doing would have been do research for writer, uh, someone writing a book or whatever. I see. Because I love doing research for our website, for example, and I you know follow these rabbit holes all over the place and find out just fascinating things and that's why there are uh, about a zillion links on our website (laughs) there are other things a lot
1: how about you michael anything come to mind
0: well i i enjoy doing research and i enjoy writing and so i think had i not been a you know professional applied mathematician slash computer scientist i probably would still have written books but just about other topics. And um, I would
2: have helped with the research, right? <laughs> yeah.
0: A perfect yeah, so, pair. So, so what I a th- match. So I think uh, uh, a writer of some sort is... Fiction?
1: Non-fiction? Probably
0: uh, non-fiction. Uh-huh. I really enjoy explaining things. Yeah. Uh, that's what I do as a teacher, and that's what I do as a, as a textbook author, explain how things work. Ex- and not only that, explain why they work. I think I would have enjoyed doing that in other spheres besides mathematics and sure. computing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Where can people go to find out more information?
2: The website is dot .org. .org. Org. Yeah. Yeah. Heathfund.org. And, yeah.
0: yeah. And I and, think you can leave out the dub, dub, dub. I
1: think he, it still yeah, works. Heathfund.org. He, I, yeah, he he I, I don't think I've typed yeah. www in, yeah. in years. Yeah. Yeah. The, the yeah. engines um, seem to work fairly yeah. well. Yeah.
2: As I mentioned, we always have a long to-do list of things we're adding all the time. The next thing that will go up, it's called a theatrical mixtape. Basically, we've got a lot of productions we've seen where we... We thought they were great, but they were hard to categorize, even in our many oddball categories. Mm-hmm. So for things that are either uncategorizable or had one particular element we really wanted to call out, we're, we're having a, a theatrical mixtape. And so it's things like fabulous stagecraft in low-tech spaces. That'll uh-huh. be part of it. Mm-hmm. And then our favorite Jane Austen... Productions of adaptations—that's oh, another. I mean, yeah. so it's all over the yeah. all over the map. But anyway, on the homepage we put the latest updates, so you can fantastic uh, see yeah. what's coming.
0: Another one of uh, of our kind of funky favorites is favorite understudy performances. Uh-huh. You, know, you, you see, over three thousand shows, you're going to see some understudies. That's right. And it's surprising how often they just. Wow you I mean it's it's really amazing and, and often the rest of the cast raises their game as well mm-hmm. to to support this this newbie in the the, the cast. So we we really see some marvelous understudy performances.
1: We went to a, I think it was a Saturday afternoon performance of Streetcar Named Desire at Writers Theater a number Mm -hmm. of years ago. David Cromer directed this. We saw it. And right before it started, we were notified that the role of Blanche Dubois was going (laughs) to be played by the understudy. Who's the understudy? Jennifer Engstrom. Oh. Do you know a Jennifer? Uh, yeah. We yeah, know yeah, Jennifer, yeah, yeah, yeah. yes. Uh, she's
0: so, a first stringer by any standards. <laughs> Let me tell you, Natasha Lowe was terrific, but I would wager Jennifer was every bit as good. It was overwhelming. And
1: yeah. the energy from the rest of the cast, as you mentioned, mm-hmm. was yeah. electric. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Everyone just kind of rose to the occasion, and she was you know she's got a lot of lines in that play too yeah. and yeah. she had yeah. obviously studied and she was ready i think they had a couple of wardrobe snafus that we were not privy mm-hmm. to off stage mm-hmm. but you remember the the, the show was <laughs> yes, like right. almost in the round it was yeah. two sided yeah. you yeah. were looking at yeah. each other through this house that yeah. was built diagonally through the yeah. through the stage area the yeah. the old theater yeah. um, the, women's uh, library, the women's library yeah. theater but yeah, speaking of understudy performances, that was one of our all-time favorites. Who were your favorite playwrights and composers? If you had to see one show tomorrow by someone, who would you like
2: to see? Ike Holter.
1: Uh, Ike yeah. Holter. Lottery Day, yeah. Red Racks. Yeah. yeah, we love Ike's work. Yeah. And and that's, and that's not that's taking nothing
0: away from the many other yeah. fine playwrights yeah. In, yeah. In, in, in Chicago. Yeah. I was, I was going to take the diplomatic approach uh-huh. and not mention friends <laughs> for fear of offending other friends, but I, I think in, the, in the, you know, the grand world of theater as a whole, I would have to say our favorite playwrights are Tom Stoppard and Tony Kushner. They both just do fantastic work yeah. um, and, and on an epic scale yep. that, that few others can yeah. match.
2: And on an epic scale, next month, we're driving to St. Louis Rep. To see the doubleheader of *Angels in America* and then driving back the same night. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Have
1: you yeah. seen the play before? Oh, oh many, have many times.
0: times. Many. One of our web pages is uh, one of the categories is life-changing theater experiences, and there are only nine shows on that page. Most of them have like twenty or thirty. And that's had only one edition since we started the website.
2: In 2016. In
0: 2016. Angels in America, which we've seen several times, it is one of those life-changing uh, theater experiences.
2: Mm-hmm. Wasn't DePaul one of the places we saw the header? It's the first place can...
0: we saw both parts the same yeah. day.
2: So we're sitting there waiting for the show to start, and the people behind us are conversing, and one of them says hope this isn't too long i put baked potatoes in the oven
1: <laughs> seven hours later <laughs> yeah. they're going to be Burned baked double baked <laughs> triple baked potatoes yeah. how about composers do you have composers? Uh, sondheim. sondheim sondheim
0: by the way on our uh, the way we cover musicals on our website is there are two pages on musicals Sondheim and non-Sondheim, <laughs> Sondheim and everyone else. Yeah. Does that answer your question? It does indeed. It does indeed.
2: And we've seen every Sondheim musical. Um,
0: I mean, even the Ephemera. Yeah. we've we've seen yeah. it yeah. all. Yeah. Yeah. And
2: so on that page, we cover every single one of them. Tell how many times, how many different productions we've seen. Some are in the twenties. And then, what what our favorite things were. Amazing.
1: Yeah. Well, you are delightful people. And Chicago could not be more appreciative of all you do, the the theater community especially, for all you do to support it. I'm just amazed not just at your patronage, but your philanthropy of theater companies. Uh, you should both be extremely proud and feel very satisfied by what you do. I, I hope you're happy in what you're We feel that we get more out of it than we put into it. Yeah. Well, that's, that's why we do it. Yeah, That's even more beautiful. That may be the most beautiful thing you've said today.
2: <laughs> and we have such admiration for the people in the Chicago theater community. Yeah. We are just so appreciative that they've been so welcoming to us you know we're there to en- enjoy their creativity and one of the things we like about our philanthropy is we're trying to enable creative people to do things but we're not there to tell them what to do in any sense so it, it works out great. We yeah, do the what very, we're, we're best at, and they do what they're the best
1: The very at. best kind yeah. of support. Yeah. Well, thank you both for helping us celebrate our 100th episode. Here's looking forward to the next 100. You can visit us at booth-one.com for prior episodes and more information about our program for Booth One and Michael and Mona Heath. This is Gary Zabinski saying so long, and keep listening.